All righty. Find your seat. Cool, cool. Um, so good. All right. Well, real quick, um, before we get started, um, I just love asking Jesus to, to move. And so what I would like for you to do is to put your hands on the people to your right and your left. Um, and I just want you to pray for them. If you're by yourself, I see you right there, and you, I see a few of you guys by yourself. Um, if you're by yourself, I would love for you to just pray for the vicinity around you and ask God just for him to specifically encounter the people to your right and left tonight. And just do that, and go ahead and pray out loud, and then I'll start talking in a couple minutes. Yes, God, we just agree with every prayer prayed. We, we don't want to just come and gather. We want your heart. Whether this whole Jesus thing is new or whether we've known you for years, we just ask for your heart tonight. God, we ask you to come and reveal yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Um, just love that kind of stuff, man. I love asking God. Remember a conference a few years ago, I wasn't planning to say this, but I remember a conference a few years ago, me and Chris Minacucci were at World Mandate in San Diego, and um, we're just so expectant before the conference begins. We're like, oh my gosh, I'm like, Chris, can you pray for me to encounter God? And he's like, can you pray for me? And then we encountered God. It was so powerful. And there's something about cultivating preemptive expectancy before the night begins or midway, whatever that looks like. I know we're halfway through the night, I guess. Um, but just to cultivate expectancy for encounter, and it helps just to ask God. So anyways, um, cool. I have a few announcements. The first one, we don't have Awaken here next week. Did y'all know that? I know it's been weird. We've had World Mandate, and we didn't have Awaken here last week either, and I'm so sorry. I heard a few of you guys showed up, and we weren't here. I feel so bad about that. Um, but um, this next week, we're going to be having an ASU missions night. Can I get a whoop whoop? So I am, no secret, the ASU college pastor, so I'm a little biased, but um, just as we've been praying as a college ministry, and we've heard a lot from actually you guys at GCU that you would like an invitation, an opportunity to just share the love of Jesus at ASU. How many of you guys know that they're like totally different campuses, right? Totally different. And so... Um, and while GCU can kind of feel like Christian Disneyland at times, ASU kind of feels like a battleground all the time. And um, anyways, we just wanted to create a space for you guys to come. So we did a, we're doing a missions night at our normal awaken time at 730 at ASU's campus. And what we're going to be doing is sharing Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And people are going to encounter him. People are going to be changed. People are going to be annoyed with you. All the above. And it's going to be amazing. And we're really excited about that. Um, and we're going to be doing that next week. And, and just uh, a couple things. One, um, if you know anything about ASU, you know this is a miracle. But we managed to secure free parking. So, so that's just super, super cool at an amazing church that we love called Church on Mill. It's right across from the church. And anyways, our very own Ian Cuevas, wherever he's at, organized that. Um, and... So just tell him thank you, and your wallet will probably thank him too. Um, but uh, our ask would be that you guys would carpool and fit as many of you guys as you can in, like, one vehicle. Does that make sense? Cool. Super simple. Um, and then if you want any more info, you can ask one of us on staff or one of your life group leaders. If you're not in a life group, you can find someone on staff. We'll help you get connected with a life group, and that will be that. Okay? Sound good? Cool. It's going to be great. Um, and the second thing... Are we, am I announcing the shirts? Yeah? Uh, so this shirt I'm wearing right now, this is totally not intentional, um, but we like, like them so much, and we heard a few of you guys wanted some that didn't get to get one. These are our fall retreat shirts. Um, they're really cool. And anyways, if you would like one, we're going to be doing another order. And just talk to Malia. She can tell you pricing and info and all that stuff. Um, and then the last announcement we have is that there's a QR code out in the lobby. And that QR code is for our summer missions. And so um, we're really excited about that. <laughs> that was like, well, it's for our summer missions. 
Come on. Okay. I know I said it kind of chill, too, and I'm like, no, we need to get excited about that. It's really going to be, uh, that's just in the back. We have a few trips that are going out, and uh, just an opportunity for you to sign up now. It's a sign-up form, right? Or is it an info form? Interest form. Wow. So level before that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, just go ahead and just sign that Q, go to that QR code and sign the interest form and just we'll get back to you. But we are formulating those teams and excited about what God's going to be doing and sending out through us in the summer. Okay. okay. All right, cool. Well, announcements done. Um, my name is Dawson. If you don't know me, I am the ASU college pastor. So I do spend a lot of my time at ASU. Um, but I really love Jesus and I love this college ministry and I love GCU, man. You guys are awesome. Where's Ben? You're my man, bro. You're my man. Um, I had so much fun with you at Fall Retreat. That, you were literally my highlight. I told people you were my highlight. So, yeah. So, how's, how's your eyes? Do you? Really? You guys, Ben sees in full color now. So, sorry. I know I'm putting you on the spot. I didn't tell you about this. I just think that's super cool. And God heals, if you didn't know. Fun fact. Um, so, uh, anyways, well, we're going to just go ahead and jump in. We are in a season of believing God for revival at our church. If you were at World Mandate or if you've been here on a Sunday, you might know that. We're literally part of a series called revival. Uh, it's just big in the middle, and there's a few words around it I don't remember at the moment, but it's about revival, and we're really excited um, about that, and revival comes when there's transformation, and that's, that's usually the sign of revival is people are being changed, but it also comes at a very real cost, and tonight, I believe that the Lord is wanting to, just on the heels of world mandate and everything that God was doing this weekend, um, that God is wanting to kind of reveal a little bit more of what that cost looks like, like what is actually the cost of revival, and he's going to just walk us through a little bit of that, and specifically, um, and I'm just telling you now so you don't get surprised, um, the Lord's going to set us free from the fear of man tonight, and it's going to be really fun. We're going to learn how to be some bold men and women of God, and it's going to be really exciting. If you don't like that, you can go ahead and leave if you want, um, but uh, we're just, that's where we're going, and I know sometimes you don't know what we're going to talk about, and I'm just giving you a heads up. I'm going to land there, so prep your heart, okay? Okay? All right. Um, cool. Well, say this with me. Jesus, I'm ready for whatever you have for me tonight. Cool. Okay, hold up a Bible if you have one. All right, and hold up a phone if you have one. Mine's over there. Okay. Um, you guys who have a phone and don't have a paper Bible, you have no excuse because we have a thing called Google, and you can Google any verse I bring up tonight. Sound good? Okay. Um, but what I love about the paper Bible is it literally gets to illustrate the Word of God because a lot of times a phone illustrates a lot of other unky-junky stuff we don't want to get into. And um, I just am going to hold this up right now, but there's something beautiful about this book. Did you know that this book does two things? The first thing this book does is that it empowers us to obey it. Isn't that cool? This book, if you read something in this book and you ask the Holy Spirit to help you, which is God who comes to live inside of you, it actually empowers you to do what it says. And there's some really wild things in here. And so that's really, really cool. And the flip side of that, the flip side of that is that this book actually testifies against you when you disobey it. Isn't that also really cool? It usually does both to me this every day. Like I'm, 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 I'm affirmed and empowered and then I'm convicted. And that's just the reality of the word of God. That's why we are people who follow the word of God. I'm holding it under my head because I'm coming under it because it has authority over me. I don't have authority over it. Does that make sense? And so... Tonight, I'm going to throw some scriptures in front of us, and I'm praying, like, man, some of you guys are, like, taking this and, like, just know that you have the power to obey everything I read before you. And I'm going to be pretty bold, and there might be some times I'm pretty intense, um, and my, 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 my plea to you would be to understand that everything I say to you, you have access to in Jesus. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. So the first scripture, we're just going to jump in, is John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And I'm going to say the scripture, and then I'm going to pose a question. The scripture in the Niv is, in him was life, meaning in Jesus. And the few verses before that are talking about Jesus being the word of God made flesh. And it says, in him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
And I just wanna pose a question to you guys tonight, and it's super simple, but do we as a people really believe that the light within us actually overcomes the darkness around us? Like, do you really believe that the light within you that has overcome the darkness actually can overcome the darkness around you? Just think about it. Just good, just evaluate your heart. I don't mind being quiet. I'm also gonna get some water. And yet where darkness is, this is where the church shines. Like this is how we're, this is how we're made to live. And so I just ask you again, do you really believe that the light within you can overcome the darkness around you? Can anyone tell me the country with the fastest growing church in the world? Iran, actually. Um, China is up there too. So the, the, the fastest growing countries with churches in the world are like Iran, China, Nepal, Afghanistan, um, what's some more that I can think of? Syria, Lebanon. I mean, countries where you don't think the church is growing, but it's booming. And we have confirmed reports of multiplying house churches because they can't actually meet in a church all over these different countries. It's the fastest growing thing ever in the world. And it's actually really crazy because something like this has only been happening for 20 years and hasn't happened for 1,500 years. And so we're living in unprecedented times across the world. And so what you're kind of looking at and what really is intriguing to me is that while the church in Iran is multiplying overnight, the church in America is floundering. Did you know that the growth rate of evangelical Christianity, which is what this is in this room, is 0.08%. 0.08%. That's like teeny tiny Little tiny thing, I'm stealing from World Mandate Andrew Park. Um, but that's a really tiny number. And our population growth rate is 1%. Where are my mathematicians in the room? Not really? Okay, that's great. Um, that is a 10 times difference between how many people are being born and how many people are coming to be born again. Does that make sense? And so there's a reality here that I just want to call out, meaning like, we are not growing as a church compared to our culture. We are being outpaced, we're being outmatched, we're being outgrown. Why is that? When the church in Iran is multiplying. There was a couple uh, from Iran found Jesus in this Iranian underground church movement that's been happening. And this couple decided to uh, apply for asylum because what happens when you follow Jesus in Iran is a little bit different. You don't get a, uh, a welcome mug. <laughs> You don't. What happens is, is you have to say goodbye to your family. You might lose your business. You might die. You might go to prison for years. You might be tortured. And yet, it's the fastest growing church in the world. I mean, shoot, if they were given mugs, you would like, I'm like, oh man, that would probably, Jesus would come back. And, but in reality, what, like, do, when, do you hear the difference, the dichotomy of what I'm saying? Like, why are we not outpacing, outmatching, and outgrowing our culture compared to a country that's ruled by a tyrannical ayatollah and militant Islam. Just being serious. This Iranian couple that I was mentioning a second ago, so they came to the States and they sought asylum here and they were like rejoicing, I'm sure, because they're like, oh my gosh, I can follow Jesus openly. I can worship in public now. Um, I can worship in public and I won't get beheaded or killed or put to prison. And, and so they're in America for a few years and what the wife eventually says to her husband struck me the most. After she was living in the US for a while, she turned to her husband and she said, husband, please take me back to Iran. Please take me back, please. <laughs> She's literally begging him. And, and the reasoning is what got me. She said, there is a satanic lullaby over this country and all the Christians are asleep. And I feel myself also falling asleep. This is from an Iranian from the fastest growing church in the world, came to America, found the freedom she wanted and realized that she was falling asleep in her faith, that she would rather risk torture. She would rather potentially have her children, her husband taken from her for following Jesus than 
fall asleep in God. And as I was praying into today, um, that just struck me. Like it should strike us. Like the phrase satanic lullaby, that's not in scripture, but doesn't it ring true in here? Like there is something happening over our nation, over our country, over our churches that does feel a little bit sleepy because we have everything we need to see revival in the greatest measure, yet we haven't seen it yet. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Do you think of the devil as a prowling lion seeking to devour someone? I'll tell you, it's a lot easier to devour someone asleep. If I'm awake, I'm not letting the lion eat me. And I do believe that tonight, I'm just gonna come down. I do believe that the Lord is drawing a line in the sand for us tonight. I believe he really is inviting us into something deeper, something fuller, something more life-giving than we could ever imagine, but it's also something more costly. And I, I believe that he's inviting us to learn what it means to be a people of war. A people of war. Can you guys pull up Ephesians 6? The, the scripture, there you go. This is from Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Did you catch that you need the full armor of God to stand firm against the schemes of the devil? Like you need to adopt a positioning of being ready to fight? That's what armor is. You don't wear armor to the store. You wear it to battle. And we obviously don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Please do not hear me ever. I'm not inciting insurrection. I am simply stating that there are demonic spiritual forces that want to gut the soul of the church in America. And our uh, movement leader is a guy named Jimmy Seibert. Were you, any of you guys hear Jimmy speak at World Mandate? Okay, cool. So Jimmy, um, Jimmy is the leader of the Antioch movement. If you didn't know this, we are an Antioch church that is part of a network of churches. And it started out of a revival in the 80s and 90s that then has planted like four, in 40 different countries, overseas teams, and like 50 different church plants and fit in like a bunch of different places in the States. And we're part of that movement. We love it. It's really fun. We're like one big family. When Jimmy comes in, it's like... He like remembers everybody's names, and it's just really, really cool. And anyways, Jimmy, back in 2018, had a dream, and you might have heard this because he actually shared this on Friday, so I'm gonna repeat some. But in this dream, he felt like the Lord spoke to him as he stood along a harbor, and he felt like the Lord said to him, I am conscripting the Antioch movement for such a time as this. And he's wondering what conscription means. It means to enlist for battle, by the way. Um, and the second thing he hears the Lord say is the secret is in the Queen Mary. And the Queen Mary is this fascinating thing as part of history, but it's a, it's a cruise liner that became a troop carrier. Winston Churchill is literally quoted saying that the, the Queen Mary and its counterpart ship were actually like, like literally shortened the war by a year. And so it was a very, very powerful, fast cruise liner. It was elegant, but for the sake of the war, it stripped itself of its luxury. It said goodbye to the things of life that were not necessary for battle. And the, the part of this word that's implied is that if we as a church are becoming a troop carrier is that God is bringing us to battle. God is bringing us to a war. And Jesus has a little bit to say about the stance we can take in that because I do wanna keep that question in front of us. Do you really believe that the light within you can overcome the darkness around you? And he has a little bit to say about that in Matthew 5. This is like his... Um, the laws of the kingdom is what I've heard it said, but like this is basically like Jesus just laying down truth for a few chapters of Matthew. And he says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill that, that cannot be hidden, meaning if you've ever seen a city on a hill, and if you've ever been to the land of Israel, there's no trees to hide the hill. There's just hills. And you can see little settlements on top of hills, and they are very visible to the naked eye. And Jesus is coming from this context, and it's like a city on a hill cannot be hidden. You're gonna see it because it's there. In the same way we are, in the same way it's ridiculous for us to be the light of the world and then put a basket over it to cover it up. You, you, being the light of the world inevitably means that we shine in dark places. What does light do? It shines in darkness. This room is not dark because there's light here. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. And so I just want to say this to you guys. We are God's answer to a dying world. Jesus said it. You are the light of the world. And if light overcomes darkness, then that means that we are God's overcoming force in the world. Okay? And I just want to say this. That as we go back to this idea of like the floundering church, and if you've ever caught a flounder, it's just a flat fish that just kind of flops and looks really silly. And so that's where that word comes from. But the floundering church in America, the reason that things are not growing is because the church doesn't know that it's in a war. The church doesn't know that it's the light of the world and that its call is to wage war on darkness. But I just want to submit to you that darkness knows it's in a war. There's no fooling the devil that he's in the fight of his life, one he's going to lose, by the way. Scripture says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. And he knows he's in a fight, and his thing is, if I can convince the church not to fight, then that's easy for me. The easiest battle ever won was one that wasn't fought by one side. And I just want to say this, like, do you guys realize that there is darkness, like, around you? I do realize, and I don't, I'm, I'm not here to glorify darkness, please. Please know that. My eyes are on Jesus. But do you realize that there is darkness around you? Like, I've heard of the phrase, like, the GCU bubble. Has anyone heard that phrase? Like, you guys literally live in a gated community. It's, like, really wild. But outside is the hood. Outside, drug deals are happening. Did you know that? Like, outside, there's darkness. And there's darkness in. I know that. If you, you guys are college students, there's, people do really stupid stuff. Um, and um, in reality, it's around us all the time. And we might have Christian friends, we might like live in a relatively sheltered life, but there is stuff around us that is at war against not just us, but against our society. And I just wanna say this. Um, do you know that Satan has his evangelists too? Like, do you know that he has a good news to share? It's not our good news. I'll give you an example of some of this good news. Uh, my wife and I, a year or so ago, went to a, a store called Five Below. Um, Five Below is like a like $5 and under store. It's for teenagers. Anyways, we're just shopping, having fun. We're on a date night. And then I just feel led, you know, like, because I'm just a browser. And I go over to the bookstore, like the book section of it. And as I go there, I don't see books that are like cultivating healthy character or maybe fun reads. I walk over there and I see books on witchcraft. I literally, and this is for teenagers, I see books that are guides to crystal healing and that are coming out guides for the LGBTQ community. I'm seeing books that are about how to handle and use tarot cards. Do you know what those are? That's divination. Like, I'm, 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 I'm in this story, and I'm just appalled. I'm like, this is what's being fed our generation. We can't fool ourselves. We might be being fed the word right now, but what's being fed our generation is garbage and filth and the evangelism of the enemy. And he doesn't play games. He doesn't wait till you're 18. I don't know if you know this, but our education system right now, right now, and Andrew Bach mentioned this a little bit on Friday, but there are kindergartners who are being taught that sex is not for the confines of marriage and the beauty between husband and wife. They're taught that sex is between man and man, woman and woman, man and woman, whatever you want to do, whatever feels good. And then they're gone so far as to, encouraged, as to be encouraged to go and get surgery without their parents' consent, sterilizing themselves by sex change surgery. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? This is very, very real. 
and it doesn't just stop there. Um, it doesn't just stop there. There is literally people on your campuses, and I know I'm talking a lot about this, so bear with me. I'm gonna get to a, a place here, but there are people on your campuses who this week got pregnant and then were evangelized by the devil's people, not the devil's people, forgive me for that, but the, the devil's agenda to murder the baby that's inside of them. And I'm not sitting here, I know he just went there, he's talking about abortion. Uh, I'm not sitting here condemning people. I actually want to say that if you've had an abortion in the room, God actually wants to deliver you and set you free from the shame of that. Yes, it's wrong, and I wanna be 100% clear that that baby is a gift of life inside the womb, but these are terrified 18-year-olds being convinced to murder that in the name of convenience. This is the darkness that wars against the church. And where is the church? Instead of championing adoption, instead of coming behind and intercepting girls who were just scared, just took a pregnancy test and saying, hey, there's hope for you. There's adoption. Hey, motherhood's actually really life-giving, and it might be a cost, but you just said yes because you had unprotected sex before marriage. And there, there's a church is not coming behind and supporting people, and so babies are being lost to the point that this is 10 times the many babies killed as the Holocaust and I, I'm just calling this out, guys. I know you guys know this. I'm not trying to be political. I think when we label this as political and not something that is God's heart, though, we are missing the point. And I just, wanna, I just wanted to call this specifically out. And I just, I, I, could, I could literally keep going, guys. There is so much pain and brokenness that people are experiencing around you. There is so much. And we are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. And I could go on about the idols of money and success and sexuality and materialism that are even within the church, but I'm not going to do that. And I just want to say to you that you are the light of the world, and God has assigned you to bring light to darkness, because the devil is unashamedly doing these things. The devil does not get scared of the things that he shares with people, but why do we when we're the light of the world? And so I say it again, do you really believe that the light within you can overcome the darkness around you? I just elaborated on the darkness. Maybe you've pondered it a little bit. Do you really believe that the light within you can overcome the darkness around you? John 10.10 says it this way, and I'm gonna state it really plainly. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. He does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Jesus, in this chapter and context, the thief is the devil. I have come, meaning Jesus, that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So just the line in the sand there. The devil comes to steal, kill, destroy. Jesus comes for life. And I really feel like tonight, God wants to set us free and give us a holy boldness to speak, to share, to love, and to actually be the light of the world in a broken place around us. There's a particular story. Um, how many of you guys have seen Saving Private Ryan? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if I could say recommend it because there's a lot of F words and a lot of gore and stuff. My wife and I have a streaming service that we can use that actually takes that stuff out for us. We watched it the other month, and there's this one scene I fast forward because I hate it. I hate it. And you probably might already know where I'm going with this because we're talking about a war and we're talking about the fear of man versus boldness. But there's this one scene towards the end of the movie where the Americans are in the fight of their lives to protect this bridge from Germans who are coming to conquer it. And at the end of this movie, there's this scene of this timid guy who has never been in a fight before, but he has all the weapons he needs. He's got a rifle, he's got ammo, he's got another gun. And anyways, what happens is they're in this house defending this position and his buddy is upstairs. What happens, the Germans flood the house behind his back. This one guy goes upstairs and he begins to get in hand-to-hand -hand combat with the American. And what, the reason I don't like to watch this scene is because the other American who is in the house hearing the fight is too much of a coward to do anything about it. He sits at the bottom of the steps holding a gun, knowing he could end that right now, and cries because he's too afraid to enter the fight. And the message in the movie is really clear. The enemy actually kills the American um, it's really graphic. I really actually don't want you to watch it, but uh, it's um, the enemy actually kills the American, and 
just walks back down and he makes eye contact with this American soldier who did nothing in the fight and knows he's not a threat and just walks out the door and goes to fight again. This is what we look like when we cowered a fear in the face of darkness. Come on, guys. This is what we look like. Because let me just tell you, and I'm not trying to get religious here. I'm not trying to get you in a works mindset thinking you have to rescue the world. That's wrong. It's Jesus who rescues the world, and his light in us is the reason we have light. But let me just say that your classmates, your friends, and your family need what God has put inside of you. Nick, can you stand up, bro? Bro, you are an evangelist, and the world needs what God's put inside of your heart, man. You really are, bro. And I am so touched every day, like, or every time we talk about you in college staff meetings and stuff. Not that we talk about you a lot, but um, I just think that God has, like, put an evangelist heart inside of you to carry people around you. And I just want to say way to go for being a light to your classmates, man. Way to go for being a friend to people that know Jesus and that don't. That's powerful. You're being the light of the world. So I just want to affirm you for that. And so what God's inviting us into tonight is to manifest that light and to get free from the fear of man. And I just wanna say this, the reason I called out Nick is because he's walking out in a version of fearlessness that he's gonna refine the rest of his life. He's gonna refine that the rest of his life. He's gonna have more bold yeses. He's gonna be asked to do things that are even more uncomfortable. But he's gonna walk in that because he's a man who obeys God. And I just wanna say that over each of you in this room that you are called to a fearless yes to Jesus. And it's needed. Each of you in this room are needed. I don't care where you rank yourself on the fear meter. Your yes to Jesus, whether it's meager or it's not, is needed. And we need you. Are y'all tracking with me? Yeah? Okay. So I just wanna define fear of man and we're just gonna kinda get into the meat here. I found this on a counseling website. The fear of man is defined as one who is consumed with an inordinate desire to please others. Fearing man places others on the throne of one's life and prevents that person from obeying God and serving God as they are called to in the scriptures. The one who fears man is consumed with self. I was like, eesh. The one who fears man is consumed with self. And ultimately what fearing man versus fearing God does is it, it, it teaches ourselves to value ourselves more than we actually value God with our actions. Here are some signs of the fear of man because I just wanted to give a few examples. You might do something and then think about what others thought about you or maybe it's one particular person or maybe it's um, something like, but just doing something and actually walking away afterwards just thinking about what people thought about you as you did that. A sign of fear of man might be just choosing not to obey God when he asks you to do something that's out of your comfort zone. Because believe me, he's gonna ask us to do things out of our comfort zone. It might be valuing your own reputation over the love of God and the truth of God being made manifest in any given scenario you're in. And it might be just simply like thinking about yourself and not seeing others around you and their needs. Someone might express a need, but you actually don't see it because there's an insecurity that's making you focus on yourself. And I'm not saying this to beat anyone over the head. The, 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 the Lord is in the room tonight, and the reason he, he put this on my heart to actually speak about it is because he wants to set people free. And I really think that this is something that the Lord is wanting to just like unshackle us from in different layers. For some of you, you've never talked to a stranger really before, and you're like, shoot, man. That sounds really terrifying, and God's wanting to unshackle that, and you might still feel fear, but you know when you're under the fear of man because you listen to its voice. I'll tell you what, I was scared Tuesday when I was with Kramer sharing the gospel in ASU. I did not want to talk to these guys playing pool. It was just awkward, but I did it. I did not listen to the voice of fear. That's how I know I'm not under the fear of man, though I felt it. Does that make sense? This is Isaiah 51. Oh, one more, actually. Um, sometimes... Uh, I just want to call this out too. Uh, sometimes the fear of man can actually masquerade as a fear of not wanting to offend others. It's like, I don't want to offend someone. I'm a peacemaker. I don't want to like tell that person that that was awkward what they just did or that was really rude. And that's the fear of man because you're actually putting what that person thinks of you over the truth of God being known in their heart and mind. Does that make sense? So this is Isaiah 51, 12 and 13. I love Isaiah. So good. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you, who are you that you are afraid of man who dies and of the son of man who is made like grass, that you have forgotten the Lord 
your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth that you fear continually all day long because of the fury of the oppressor as he makes ready to destroy. And I love this. But where is the fury of the oppressor? And I just want to say this. Who are you that you're afraid of man who dies that you have forgotten the Lord your maker? When you submit to and come under the fear of man, you actually lose sight of God's bigness, his goodness, and his purposes. And it's just simply the wrong spirit. That's not who we're called to be as the church. Another scripture, 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's one to memorize and to say to yourself when you fear, feel fear, God, I repent of fear. God, I thank you that you've not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. I receive your power in my life. I receive your love in my life. I receive your sound mind in my brain that I might think like you. Just some easy spiritual warfare right there. Tonight, um, and I'm just putting this before us because I really believe the Lord wants to set people free, specifically from the fear of man. And also, I just want to say this one, from the fear of the devil. A lot of times we can actually fear the devil thinking like, oh, if I, maybe it's because of trauma that's happened in your life or like legit tragedy or pain that's very real. And we can respond by saying, I don't want to tick the devil off by being bold because I don't want retaliation. And I feel like the Lord's wanting to set us free from both those things tonight. And I just wanna say this, it's an overtime journey. There's gonna be significant things that happen as we respond here in a little bit, but it is an overtime journey. It's daily going there with Jesus and allowing him to, to move our hearts, to cut our hearts and to shape us in a way that brings transformation and just continually cuts it out of our lives. I remember when I started um, just getting free from the fear of man, I met Jesus as a freshman in college. Uh, I grew up in a very religious background um, and had experiences of meeting with God as a kid, but I would say when I truly committed myself to the lordship of Jesus, I was a freshman at Antioch Baton Rouge in Louisiana. Um, whoop, whoop, go Tigers. Um, they are now ranked 18th. Let's go. Um, in college football. Um, but... Yeah, so when I was a freshman, I met Jesus, and I was put on um, a specific uh, pastor, leader, speaker guy who um, radically was delivered from atheism, drugs, and alcohol, a guy named Todd White. Um, some of you guys are like, I don't know about him. He's really awesome. He's got a really tender heart to the Lord. And anyways, what he would say and lay down the line with was he would just challenge people to obey Jesus and to not fear man. And so I am encountering Jesus as a freshman and my heart is a discovering relationship with God. I'm hearing his voice. I'm learning to obey. I'm reading the word every day. I'm getting time with Jesus. And I think, oh, man, I cannot follow Jesus if I'm not actually willing to share my faith. And so I started going to Goodwills because I figured that's where needy people went. And I know that's like thrifting is more of a thing now. Um, but I would find the like most innocent, docile-looking old lady, and I would pray for her. And over time, the Lord was like, Dawson, I don't want you to just share with the old ladies. I want you to share with the intimidating big dudes as well. Um, but what it was was a simple journey of God. I want to say yes. I don't care what it looks like. This is totally out of my comfort zone. But I'm going to walk up to this old lady and say, excuse me, ma'am. Um, this is maybe really weird, but I love Jesus. And can I pray for you? And then I'd pray for 10 seconds, walk away. Maybe nothing happened, but it happened. Amen? And this is the journey we're on. It starts there. And it looks like a persistence to obey even when you don't feel like it. And I just want to say sometimes God will intercept you when you don't want him to. I remember one time I was driving home my senior year, and I'm coming home from an LSU game. They just lost. I'm sad. I want to go cry about it. And um, I get to my apartment, and the Holy Spirit says to me, hey, I want you to go to Cain's right now and preach the gospel. And this Cain's is... Just a little backstory, the original Canes, it's right off of LSU's campus. The seats are tiger. It's really epic. Everyone goes there. All the athletes go there after an LSU football game. Um, and so I'm like, I know the voice of God. Okay. Well, that's biblical. <laughs> you know, like I'm testing it, but my emotions are saying that's not biblical. But it is. Um, and so I decided to go. I spent about 30 minutes deliberating with the Lord outside before I finally go in. And I just stand up and I say, excuse me. Excuse me, LSU may have lost and let you down tonight, but there's a God in heaven who will never let you down. That's all I said. And I am, I am projecting the ridicule in the room. I am projecting the stones that they're gonna go out from the gravel outside and throw at me. 
and they just start clapping. And I was like, okay, cool, thank you, God. I received that, um, that I was literally thinking I was gonna die. Um, and that was my senior year, that was the first time I did something like that. The Lord's only asked me to do it one other time. Um, and I'm not saying that the Lord tonight is gonna ask you, maybe he will. But um, let's just start incrementally. Let's say little yeses and let's allow him to stretch us in obedience. Does that make sense? Okay, cool. Sweet. So how does this translate? I'm kind of getting a little bit into that. Um, But 1 John 5, 4 and 5 gives us a little bit more about how we overcome. Um, I love this scripture. I preached on it in September if you were here. Um, And it says this, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world except he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? They're like, how do I overcome the world? This is the victory, your faith. What's your faith? When you believe God when you don't feel like it. Your faith is when you walk into a room and you say, God can do something here, even though I don't currently see it. Faith is the conviction of things hoped for, the assurance of things not seen, meaning when you walk in faith, you actually get to realize what actually is not there at the moment that you then get to step into. And so just a little filter for us, overcoming the world is simple, and it's this question that I want you to learn to ask. If you need to write this down, I'll say it a couple times. In any room I go in, any room I go in, do I believe Jesus is who he says he is? Any room I go in, do I believe that Jesus is the answer? Do I believe that he can do what he says he can? Do I believe John 14 when it says, greater works than these will you do because I'm going to the Father? Do I believe that? And I just want you to write that question down. In any room I go in, do I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he can do what he says he can? Because if you ask that question, you're gonna walk into a room and you're gonna see something broken and messed up and you're gonna know the answer man. His name's Jesus. And he's gonna have an answer and he's gonna intervene and he's gonna bring life to that broken thing. Are y'all with me? This is huge. It's really fun. It's really fun to not just begrudgingly, okay, God, I'm gonna go share with that person. Uh, Excuse me, can I pray for you? Okay. Jesus bless them, thank you Lord, amen. When instead, we catch faith, we realize that when God is with us, who can be against us? And we walk in and we say, that person I'm about to talk to is gonna get wrecked right now. (laughs) And so I just wanna say a few things. I just made a list, these are just off the top of my head. These are things that Jesus might do around your college campus and in your daily life. I was just like, these are things that Jesus might do. If Jesus is in the room, I bet he would probably do something like this. Some of these are direct parallels to scriptures. First one, Jesus might pray for a stranger on your campus. Dun, 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 dun. Jesus might give generously to a friend who's in need, even if it costs you something. Jesus might challenge a friend about a relationship they're in that's struggling with sexual sin. Jesus might stand up for the rights of unborn babies because Ephesians 1.4 says that he formed them before the foundation of the world. Jesus might pray for healing for someone who expressed pain in their body or is visibly injured. Jesus might share a prophetic word over someone that he doesn't know. Jesus might speak up when your friend group wants to watch an inappropriate movie. Well, have you been there? I've been there. There's been times I haven't spoken up. I'll tell you, I'll speak up now. Jesus might stand up and preach the gospel somewhere. Jesus might give food to the homeless at a stoplight instead of just driving by. And I'll tell you what, Jesus might give food to the homeless at a stoplight when it's green and he still tells you to give and you give while people are honking at you behind you. You ever been there? That's fear of man when people are honking at you and you're like, no, I need to go instead of obey God. Amen? Okay, just helping you evaluate this a little bit. Jesus might speak identity over someone drunk and tell them they're made for more in life and that Jesus loves them and wants them free. Kramer and I got to do this the other week. It was really fun. Um, Jesus might follow up with a classmate that expressed a life struggle and pray for their need and then tell them about it. Jesus might have a study group with people he doesn't know so that he might share the Father with them. 
translating this, so we might share Jesus with him. He would share himself. Um, Jesus might travel across the state to share Jesus with someone at a gas station. Like we, Jesus does all of these things. And these are just examples um, for that last one reference to John 4. Um, but Jesus would do a lot of things for hurting people because he knew that what was in him was the light of the world. And obviously, I could keep going, and there's specific nuances and circumstances and situations where Jesus might do something in your life, and I would just challenge you to ask him, like, hey, if you're in the room, like, you're with me, Jesus, what do you want to do right now? And just watch him spice things up. It's really fun. I'm telling you, it's really fun. The fear of man is not fun, but the fear of God is so much fun. So much fun. So much fun to to submit yourself to him whether you feel like it or not and watch the joy of the Lord literally lead you and people be transformed around you. It's so fun. I'm not just saying this out of some kind of religious desire for you to do the right thing. It's because intimacy with God comes in this place. But like I said, there's no specific action. It's just about a heart lifestyle. It's about you wanting Jesus on a day-to-day basis and wanting to obey him and asking that question, God, if any room I go in, can I, do I really believe that you can do what you can do in this room? And so I, I wanted to give us a simple tool. Are y'all with me? Yeah? Okay. Do you guys have room in your tank for like a tool to help you walk this out? Yeah? Okay, cool. Um, we're going to jump in. This is a, a tool that my wife actually was given by the Holy Spirit. So... Um, yep, she's amazing for more than a million reasons. And the Lord, um, she just has naturally just walks out evangelism with the Lord and um, has learned over time what that looks like of like been in both sides of the camp of one of like, I don't want to do that. That does not feel like what I want to do right now. I just want to go to the store. I don't want to pray for the cashier. Can I just get out of here? I have homework to do. I have life to do. And then the other side of the coin of... If I don't do this, I'm not a believer. If I don't share every day, 10 times a day, then I'm not saved. And oh my gosh, is Jesus really in love with me? Does he love me? Does he care about my life? Is he gonna bless me in anything that I do if I'm not sharing with 10 people a day? There's two camps here and both are wrong. I just wanna call that out. I'm not inspiring you and asking you to like do something out of striving, but I want you to do this out of friendship with Jesus. And this tool is gonna help you gauge that. Does that make sense? Because I could sit here and I thought about this. I thought about giving like a sermon of like, hey, let's each share your testimony in two minutes and I was gonna have you guys do that. Or I thought about having you guys like just like find someone new in the room you don't know or just someone you don't know and like ask if you can pray for them and just practice being bold. And then I realized like, I think at the end of the day, we don't need to be told what to say. We just need to overcome fear and do it. Does that make sense? And so this is a little tool to help you overcome fear and do it, and it's called Compassion, Compel, Action. Say that with me. Compassion, Compel, Action. Compassion, Compel, Action, CCA. Um, And it's super simple, and it's a progressive tool to help you evaluate your heart of are you really carrying the Lord's heart for people around you. The first word, compassion, Compassion is basically asking the question, do I feel compassion for people around me? Do I feel compassion for people around me? If I see a need, do it, does it actually break my heart in that moment? Or am I actually hardened and calloused to the needs around me? If I see somebody walking in a boot, am I feeling for them? If I see a homeless man Is my heart going out to him of wanting him to be delivered and set free of whatever his circumstances put him there? If I see a classmate who is clearly depressed, clearly broken, and clearly in need of Jesus, am I willing, and am I I willing to actually feel that with them, not adopting their pain, don't hear that, but am I actually willing to allow the Lord to break my heart? That's compassion right there. And compassion If I feel it, but I don't take action, praise God. You felt compassion. Give yourself a pat on the back. If you felt compassion today for someone, just give yourself a pat on the back. All right. That's great. (laughs) Um, If I feel compassion, but don't take action, praise God. At the end of the day, I'm trying to gauge my heart to see if I am tender to the will of the Lord around me to bring transformation and change. Am I aware that I'm the light of the world and that I have an answer inside of me and I can feel for them? 
And I would say if you're not feeling compassion for people around you on a daily basis, that is a red flag that somewhere along the way your heart has gotten disconnected from the mission of God on the earth. You've gotten disconnected from his heart and his desires, and he's inviting you to check that. And a lot of times it's really simple. It doesn't, it's not like you don't have to like spend three days praying and fasting to re-engage with compassion. You just need to allow it. You need to slow down, get off your phone, get off social media, maybe look around a little bit and actually see people around you and ask God to just show you. And he'll do it like that. It's really simple. Does that make sense? Okay, and I do wanna say this. Compassion is not complacency. We can hate the works of the devil but simultaneously be really passionate about the individual that's experiencing, that, that needs to experience freedom. Compassion is not a, a tolerance for sin but it's patient, it's understanding, it's kind and at times compassion is bold. I wanna say that, at times compassion's bold. If you think compassion's not bold, maybe you're feeling that like fear of offense, false peacemaking thing that comes with fear of man. Because at times, the most compassionate thing we can do is say, hey man, that's, that's actually not okay. And I love you, it's too much to, to, to not speak up. The second thing, compel. And this is just the next level. So once I'm feeling compassion, am I actually feeling compelled to people around me? Oh my gosh, I see that homeless man, and am I actually feeling a tug on my heart to give? I, I keep, my wife and I, we keep like little Nature Valley bars in our car, and so am I actually feeling led to give a Nature Valley bar and reach my hand out the window? And if you're feeling compelled, praise God! Praise God, give yourself a pat on the back. I feel compelled! God's compassion is in me, and I can do something about it. Praise God, that's a really good thing. And this is a really good tug because compelling can go multiple ways. God might ask you to pray for that person and not say anything. He might ask you to do something really bold and crazy. He might ask you to do something in between. He might ask you, instead of confronting that issue, he might say, hey, why don't you just take him out to coffee? Go love on him. Does that make sense? Cool. Um, so the last one is action. And that one's pretty simple. But if I am feeling the compassion for people around me and I am feeling compelled to people around me, Am I actually doing something about it? And that one's the easiest to gauge, right? You know when you've done something about it. You don't never not know, did I do something about that? Because God is really friendly and really good to us in that he is clear with us. He's not confusing. And so God a lot of times will give us a really specific action. You might just know it in your gut. You might see it in your brain. You might imagine it in your head, whatever that looks like. But that's the next filter is like, okay, did I feel compassion? Did I feel compelled? And did I take action? And you might be in a season where every day you were getting all the way to the action point and you just feel spent because you're pouring out your life for other people. And you might go through a season where you're like, man, this is so hard. And oh, I, at least I'm feeling compassion for them. And that's just the, 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 the mercy of God to be patient with us in that it's okay. And there have been plenty of times where God's asked me to do something and I didn't do it. Obviously, that breaks my heart, and the goal is not to stay there, um, but the goal is to be patient with ourselves, knowing that he's a merciful God, and he ultimately, his kindness leads us to repentance, and he wants to draw us into greater and greater obedience. Amen? Okay. Um, cool, cool, cool. Um, got Gavin on the keys. Um, and I just want to say this. You never regret taking action. You never regret it. Like anytime you ever step out and do an action that's out there, that's loving someone, that's being the light of the world, you never regret it. It's always so fun. And even if it's terrifying in the moment, you walk away and you like feel best friends with Jesus and you're like, we just did that, God, let's go. And, and that's the reality that God's inviting us into. Um, and action ultimately is what is gonna prove the faith in you that you want to see the impossible. Meaning if... I want to see miracles around me, my, what I would say to you is to start praying for the sick. If you wanna see a miracle, signs and wonders, because God still does those. Um, if you wanna see a miracle, sign and wonder, pray for the sick, and again, and again, and again. Get through the awkward of nothing changed, and you're walking away just saying, cool, well, God loves you, he blesses you, he's for your life, and then you'll see it. That was part of my story. I, as I went to the Goodwills, I was also targeting crutches. 
and I was looking for people in boots and just different obvious visible injuries. And I'm like, God, I am determined to see what I know you can do. And that's faith right there. And as I'm saying all this tonight, um, we're all gonna be on different parts on the spectrum. And there's a few things I feel like God's doing tonight. I've said this a few times, but God's wanting to deliver us from fear. He's wanting to deliver us from the fear of man. He's wanting to deliver us from the fear of devil, the devil. He's wanting to deliver us from the fear of sin. He's wanting to deliver us from the fear of failure. You name the different types of fears out there, and I guarantee you, none of you are completely without fear. God's wanting to do surgery on our hearts. He's here with a scalpel, and he's here to cut what isn't good and keep what is. And last night as I was pondering this dream, I went to sleep, and I had a dream I mean, you know, God speaks through dreams. And I had this dream, and in this dream, I saw this bird. And I saw this bird, and, and, and the Holy Spirit revealed to me that that bird represents us as people. And in this dream, I see this bird, and then all of a sudden, this bird in its peacefulness is starting to have spears thrown in it by this aggressive man that I don't see. And there's spears just going at this bird. And this bird who is just resting all of a sudden is being bombarded and bombarded and bombarded by these big spears. It's barely dodging them. It's terrified, it's confused. And the bird, it sees a window and it flies up to the window. And it's looking at this window and then out comes this cat. How I many you know the devil roars around like a prowling lion? And it comes out this cat and this cat's claws are bared and it's got evil in its eyes and I'm watching and I'm thinking, oh no, you stay away cat, you stay away. And this cat comes and it says, hey, I'll be your friend. I'll be your friend, I'll protect you. I'll protect you from that man throwing spears. And so the bird in its fear says yes to being friends with the cat. And the cat's not a good friend. The cat then takes the, the bird, plunges it into a corner and it begins to pluck its feathers off, plucking its feathers off. And I, was, I woke up and as I've been processing today, praying for tonight, I was asking the Holy Spirit what this dream meant. And I felt like he said that the man throwing spears is the fear of man. If you wanna see someone, how they endured the fear of man, go look at David, Saul literally threw spears at him in the Bible. And I, this fear of man was, was, was terrifying this bird so much so that in its daysness, it actually gave itself to a greater evil. And I really feel like that is a definition of what the fear of man does. You don't wanna be hurt. You don't wanna offend someone. You don't want someone to think bad about you. So you ultimately give yourself into the clutches of sin and the devil. And he might pretend to be a comforter. Because I'm telling you, God says, hey man, I want you to, I want you to be really clear with your friend. I know they started hanging out with that group and that group very clearly is into pot, smoking and drinking. And I want you to just challenge him and say, hey man, you're better than this. You are a follower of Jesus. And I, in that moment, God speaks to you. You can, uh, you can comfort yourself with your phone and just ignore that. You can power through that moment and get home, forget about it. But you unknowingly are giving yourself to a false comforter. And this is where the, the part of the dream that I felt like was so clear was the window. And as I was praying about it today, I saw it in my mind's eye so clear that the Lord was waiting for the bird to call out. There's a window there. Scripture talks about the windows of heaven. And that bird, all it needed to say was, Father, help me. Give me grace to do this. Help me do this. I don't want to die. I don't like that they're throwing spears. Can you give me courage? And the father would open the window and say, here, why don't you go? You don't have to be a victim of that anymore. You don't have to be a victim of that anymore. How many of you guys know that birds aren't meant to be inside, they're meant to fly? Proverbs 29 calls the fear of man a snare. And what are snares for? They used to catch birds. And as I was here processing this dream, I just felt like the Lord was leading us to that line in the sand moment of just deliverance. Let's, let's get free tonight. Let's get free tonight. Let's not be intimidated at what man can do to us. 
For the Lord is my rock and my salvation. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? And he's inviting us into that. And maybe it's a little more subtle than that. Maybe it's the fear of offense. Maybe it's the fear of ruffling feathers in your friend group. Maybe this was mine in college. I did not listen to rap music. Or I listened to rap music because my friends did, but the Lord was convicting me because the music was polluting my soul. And um, the Lord was calling me to speak up about it in our different friend hangouts because they're just playing filthy stuff. And these are life group leaders. These are people who love Jesus. And I didn't do anything. I just was like, I don't want to ruffle feathers. And so maybe for you, it's less about being bold. And you're like, I can talk to a stranger, but maybe God's actually asking you to be light and health and wholeness to your friend group, to call things out, to actually be a pioneer and lead things, to speak truth to people in love, in love. And God's inviting you to say goodbye to the fear of that. Because blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. And then the second thing I felt like, maybe you're like, I just need greater boldness. And there is an invitation for you tonight, Acts chapter four, verse 29 through 31. There's a prayer there where after great persecution, when the apostles, James and, or Peter and John, have every right to fear man, they return and they say, God, give us greater boldness that we might continue to speak, that you might continue to work signs and wonders and that your name might be magnified. And so for some of you, there's an invitation in the room because maybe what I'm saying is challenging in some ways, but there's an invitation for you to come and just receive a greater boldness from God. And let me tell you, when you ask God for boldness, he doesn't ignore that. He answers you. And so for some of you, that's the response tonight is just believing God for boldness. And you probably know where, if, if I'm saying that right now, then maybe you're picturing your workplace or a class or a specific friend or something. But did you know that we have the helper, the Holy Spirit, who you can ask to help you along the way? If I don't wanna do something, I'm just like, Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. I can't do this on my own, I need you. And God's inviting you in that. And maybe as I listed the things of darkness in the room, in a room this size, I'm not pretending that we're all saints here. And there might be some of you in the room who've given your bodies away sexually. There might be some of you in the room who have had an abortion. There might be some of you in the room who are wrestling with shame over family and molestation, incest, brokenness of the world. Maybe there's some of you who used to do New Age. That's something we had to tackle last year in ASU. It's all over campus. And I'm not gonna be ignorant of that. And there is no shame for you, but there is a loving father for you. And he is so powerful. And so if that's you, maybe there's even a family history of witchcraft you know about. You think I'm kidding, I'm actually not. Then I just wanna invite you to disentangle yourself. I just wanna invite you to disentangle yourself that the lies of shame, the lies of fear, the lies of bondage, maybe it's just even like plaguing memories from pornography addictions or different things. And God's actually wanting to like remove that from your mind and set your mind in a place of clarity. As we were praying earlier today, um, a friend of mine got a picture of cobwebs in people's brains and the Lord coming in with a sword and like cleaning out the cobwebs and trumpets being blown. And the Lord saying, I am disentangling minds tonight. And I'm believing he's doing that in the room. So those are a few different places to respond, but if you just need to meet with God, if something in you was stirred by what I'm saying, I would encourage you to sit in your seat and ask him, God, what are you stirring in me? Maybe you know something you need to do that you haven't done yet. Maybe it's a friendship or something, I don't know. But our invitation is clear and it's to be a people who respond. And so I'm just gonna invite you right now, we can go ahead and have the band come up. Um, I'm just gonna go ahead and invite you right now. If you, anything I said, or you just want more of God, I just wanna invite you, you can go ahead and come up to the front. We call this place an altar. And so if you're like, man, I need more of Jesus. I need to be set free from the fear of man. I need greater boldness. I need to get disentangled from the world and the junk around me. I just wanna invite you to come, come. And our ministry team, you guys can go ahead and line up. If you need prayer from our ministry team, they're here as well. Um, you guys can line up wherever you feel best. Um, and the invitation is clear for you tonight. We're gonna sing a song called No Longer Slaves. You probably know it, it's pretty famous. 
but the invitation is clear for you tonight that slavery is leaving you behind, that you are not under it anymore. And so, Father God, I just pray right now, would your healing hand come upon this room? I ask in the name of Jesus that fear of man would leave hearts right now. Fear of offense would leave hearts. We are the bold church. We are the multiplying, growing church. We defy 0.08%. We are the bold ones. And so right now, I pray the gift, of the, the gift of the fear of God would override the fear of man. You're so big, God. You're so faithful, God. And I just thank you for holy boldness. Holy boldness. Not the boldness that gets something out of it for me, but the boldness that gets something out of it for you, Lord. I ask in Jesus' name for boldness on these ones. Boldness to do what they haven't done before. Boldness to risk with you. It said faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Boldness to risk with you. And finally, God, I just thank you right now for freedom. Freedom from sexual sin, from immorality, from the ways of the world. I thank you that there's a that, that there's playlists some of you guys just need to delete tonight because it's polluting your soul. There's movies and shows some of you guys watch you need to say goodbye to because there's nudity in it and it looks just like the world and God's saying, come out from that, be separate from that and cling to me. And so God, I thank you right now in Jesus' name that your deliverance would be moving. I thank you for freedom. I thank you that you're a loving father. And I thank you, Jesus, that you're setting hearts free right now. We say, come Holy Spirit and come have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.